<laughs> Welcome to the Beauty Beast Podcast. My name's Demi. And I'm Melissa. And I'm Katie, their special guest. <laughs> yes, we are so excited. So today we're going to be talking misclassification with Katie. Katie, why don't you introduce yourself? Hi, so I am one of Melissa's longtime clients, and I am also an accountant here in Coral Springs, Florida. We work with a lot of small business, sole proprietors, uh, mostly in that um, S-Corp election range to just, you know, help them ensure they are running their business correctly and that they're on track to get a profit. So that's, that's a little summary of what I do. Katie's amazing. I absolutely love her. We've had many a business chat together, so I'm super excited for this. Yes, and I've eavesdropped in to the <laughs> business chats when we're all working, so I know we're set up for success today. I know that you just touched on something um, that I think sometimes people aren't aware of, which is the S-Corp. So mm-hmm. would you mind um, defining like what an S-Corp is, just for anybody who's unfamiliar with that? For sure. Definitely. So an S-Corp is a type of business classification that you can either do as a partnership or a single member LLC, where your business goes from being taxed like um, a self-employed entrepreneur into more being taxed like a corporation, and that you do not get hit with the self-employment tax so but it's also the stipulation that you are also running more like a legit business and you're taking an owner's paycheck you are paying other employees you are um, deducting your expenses in the correct way so it it, there's a lot it's almost like a leveling up Mm -hmm. for business owners who take themselves from an LLC or a sole proprietor to an s-corp it's like okay now we're in big boy territory here Right. Or unless you're like me and your accountant just tells you that you have different options and that's probably the better one and you're just like, okay, we'll do the better one. Yeah. Your accountant (laughs) can be a really good guide because, you know, it all it being an S Corp sounds like a great idea. You know, you're you are taxed less, essentially. Um, You can take an owner's paycheck. But there's a lot of stipulations that um, if the business owners are not ready to take that on, like, you know, once you start paying a uh, salary to yourself you also have to pay the payroll taxes yes so Mm -hmm. an accountant can kind of look at your net income and see if you're in a range where that tax benefit would be beneficial to you for sure yeah we um switched over we were of course an LLC when we first started um I I don't want to say of course but it was just kind of like the general assumption like that's usually like the best fit and I think when everybody starts like you know, business ownership and the smaller scale in the beginning, I think we all maybe just assume, like, LLC is the way to go. Yeah, But as I would we agree. started, like, acquiring more stuff, we very quickly realized that, like, we fit more into, I shouldn't say stuff, I guess, like, more business <laughs> yeah. stuff. Is that if I put Becoming business more in organized. front of it? Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, then we very quickly realized that, uh, you know, an S-Corp was a better fit for us, and then we you know, did everything from there. And at this point, because of what we have going on, we do monthly, you know, bookkeeping and accounting with Great. our accountant. Great. Um, but I know we started like quarterly when we switched over to the S Corp. Cause again, like you just touched on, there's a little bit more work involved. So Correct. I feel like when you do choose to, to go into an S Corp, you need to be aware that like your bookkeeping has to be 
a little bit more organized. It it's should be correct. organized as an LLC, but I think we can all admit that we've been disorganized at times. Right. But I think an S-Corp, really, you have to be on top of it Absolutely. at least quarterly. And honestly, if you're not cleanly keeping up with your books in between, that quarterly sit down for you is going to be, for lack of better words, a shit show. So <laughs> I can attest. I yeah. can attest. Yes, I have most of my clients on either uh, monthly or quarterly arrangements. And yeah. Yeah, anytime they see me less, it makes me a little nervous. <laughs> <laughs> and I definitely say, like, all the time with girls starting and, you know, opening their own businesses, the investment in an accountant to at least do quarterly mm -hmm. is such an important thing. Or just to have an accountant to guide you in right, general. Right, in general. I mean, if you do the yearly accounting and you feel like you definitely have it, you know, controlled for you to do yourself but right. then I think like doing it yourself is great if you feel like you're in your comfort zone of doing it right. but I always say that there's a reason that there's a professional in any line so oh, for sure there's things that we don't see you know because our eyes aren't a set of eyes that are looking for certain things that exactly. like an accountant set of eyes are looking for so I do think once you start to see some success in your business that knowing that that investment is going to come back like tenfold and you're mm -hmm. going to benefit yep. in the long run more is so important because when you clear off things from your plate that aren't in your wheelhouse of specialties but you know you need it for your business that's when i think you flourish and you grow your best i can't sure. agree with that more that is a great message yeah. For sure. So we do want to talk to Katie about all things like setting up a business, but the main focus today is employment misclassification. And I know Katie and I have talked many a times during our nail sessions about <laughs> this because this is something that unfortunately happens a lot in our industry. You'll be hired as a quote unquote 1099 employee. It's an oxymoron. <laughs> there is no such thing. And this is something that, like correct me if I'm wrong, Katie, but like this is a national thing. This isn't limited to a particular state or anything like that. Correct. You know, this is in the eyes of the IRS. Correct. Who yep. When you're it's the big man, when you're dealing with your money, <laughs> yeah, the answer to them. So you don't want to fuck it up. Yeah, and I will add this, you know, just to mention that the Inflation Reduction Act just passed yesterday, of I have 2022, no idea what that is. and it included. I did see that. I can't tell you yeah. what it means, but I saw I it. I can tell you the part that is going to matter to a lot of business owners. The IRS just got an influx of 80 billion dollars into their budget which they have said that they are going to use for tax enforcement. Oh. And they are coming after businesses. Mm -hmm. and oh, okay. So see, expect an increase in audits, expect an increase in inquiries, and I am putting all of my clients on notice that we are still going to make sure we're on our P's and Q's because... Yeah, I did read yeah. that a little bit, and I think that they're really buckling down too because they're trying to focus and hone in on um, that relief that yep. had come during Absolutely. COVID. Uh, so side note, if you're sending flower emojis to your hairdresser <laughs> for $400 balayage, that shit ain't gonna fly. Nope. Nobody spent $400 on flowers. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm getting married and... <laughs> actually valid <laughs> but if she's a florist then hopefully she has an s-corp or an LLC. exactly exactly yeah so there's definitely going to be um, more inquiry into just you know 
into the 1099 um, subcontractors and exactly, you know, how they're running their business mm-hmm. and then also how their business maybe be will be operating with them. Yeah. Okay. So let's start off simple. What is the difference between a 1099 quote unquote employee <laughs> and like an actual W-2 employee? Sure. So um, a 1099, um, so a 1099 refers to the tax document that you will get at the end of the year that summarizes all the payments that somebody made for you. So an example is, you know, somebody working here at Plaid and Pinned. Um, you contract somebody in to come sweep your floors. You pay her 200 bucks a week. At the end of the year, you are going to issue a 1099 with the total of the payments you made to her for the year. And she will take that 1099 and then report it on her individual tax return. So um, when somebody is going to receive a 1099, the common name to call that person would be an independent contractor. Okay. Um, So they are going to submit a W-9 to you when they start employment. The payments are made in the full amount. No taxes are withheld. And they are responsible for paying in their taxes. And then on the other side, um, a W-2, again, is the, um, the form that they will receive at the end of the year. W-2 is a little bit different, and uh, 1099 will have one amount. A W-2 will have six amounts broken up into different boxes or more um, should there be other implications of their employment, like retirement and all that stuff. Right. But it typically will just summarize you know, their gross wages, the Social Security um contribution from the employee and the employer. So, um, you know, a W-2 employee would submit a W-4 to you upon employment. That tells you what their withholding information is. Um, The employer also contributes to their taxes and not only taxes, but also to unemployment. And they are also not responsible for the employer portion of this, the tax. That's why you as an employer will cover that portion. Gotcha. So essentially the difference is, is somebody who is a 1099 has nothing taken out. Correct. I don't know why I just said nothing. 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 Making all that dough. (laughs) (laughs) It's just due later. That's what I say. It's not that it's not due. It's just due later. Right. If it wasn't due for you in the last few years, there's $80 million looking for you. (laughs) Yeah. They funded it. They're coming. Yeah. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. All right. Um, that I think that definitely I, I think the cleanest way of like describing it from the perspective too of of uh, watching with like hairstylists and I think this is a big thing. Not just hairstylists, I think people in general that are 1099s, they a lot of times when people don't understand what a 1099 is and they just started to work underneath mm-hmm. that new title, um there's always a panic that first tax season because a lot of times I don't think people realize that you owe because you've literally taken in only, nothing's been withheld. Now, you can do that with your as a W-2 employee too. There is an option to not withhold taxes, but the standard is is when you're a W-2, taxes are withheld, which normally would sign you up for a return at the end of the year, right? Mm -hmm. So I think that's like, I don't know if you experienced it, like with noticing people that would like transition into our industry, 
I think that's one of the biggest panics that I always used to Absolutely. see is people don't realize, like with 1099. Well, I can speak to that because coming from a background where I was a teacher, you know, I had, I was, I guess, a quote unquote W-2 employee, you mm-hmm. know, Social Security, FICA, my 403Bs were taken out, my yeah. health insurance was all pre-tax, um, everything like that. So that first year when I went um, focused solely on nails, it, you know, that first tax season, I was like, what the fuck do you mean I owe $6,000? Yeah. Because I was 1099 and I called my accountant and I was like, girl, you got to help me because yeah. I don't want to pay this. And, you know, we went through a whole process. And then when that was done, I looked at her and I was like, I never want to do this again. Like, how, how do avoid I avoid it? this? And right. that's when we set up my escort. Right. And, and then I'm sure she got you set up on payroll and you started right. paying those taxes in at least monthly. Right. And Absolutely. then the salon that I was at, instead of paying me individually, they started paying my corporation. Absolutely. And everything was, I mean, I don't want to say funneled through there. It was done correctly. Yes. IRS, don't focus <laughs> yes. that $80 billion on me. <laughs> but, um, you know, it was passed through correctly in that yes. sense. And yeah. Every I think month. that's a big mistake yeah. also is a lot of people write off to like the cows come home, you know, <laughs> yeah. like, we could do a whole episode on that. Right. One. <laughs> and I, I mean, I know we're, we're focused on misclassification, but I think it's so important because I don't think people understand until like, let's say they try to go acquire like more assets in their lives. For yeah. instance, I mean, it's usually not an issue to purchase a car unless your credit score. Right. Mm-hmm. But when it comes to like getting a mortgage for a home or yeah. something like that, like where they're really looking and they're not approving you for financing until Mm -hmm. you legitimize your income genuinely yeah um you know that's the other reason there's so much value in in having an accountant and making sure that you are legitimizing your income which is a big important side I find that a lot of times yeah you kind of want to go more in the direction of how much could we expense out but you need to truthfully depict your income because Mm -hmm. that's what sets you up for being able to live Right. right. And with being a, sure. an independent contractor, you definitely have more of a responsibility to su- substantiate and legitimize Absolutely. that income. And when yeah. you're a W-2 employee, you get your W-2. You can't deduct any expenses. That that was done away with the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act, that right. W-2 employees could deduct any um, expenses that they have. I've gotten that question a lot. <laughs> Not until 2025, people. But, um, yeah. Yeah, that's just with a W-2 employee, there's a lot less responsibility when it comes to how they receive their income. Right. Mm -hmm. And I will say the very first salon that I ever worked at, I was a W-2 employee. I mean, not that it was like a perfect scenario because when she shut down, she just just kind of disappeared and I never got that end of the year tax form mm-hmm. and then that was a whole other headache where I had to call the IRS yeah. and they're like well you got to do it by hand and I'm like what <laughs> yeah that is terrible yeah but I mean it was until that point like done correctly so I do have to say that so then I guess like the question would be then for you know people who are thinking okay well I'm 1099 quote-unquote employee at my salon so what does the difference look like 
like as somebody who owns a business, like yeah. how should it be done correctly? Right. The difference between the two. For sure. So um, what working as a independent contractor in a salon would look like would be a lot like how you are here. Um, you have your own equipment and your own supplies. You pay for all of your job expenses. You are paid on a project by project basis, means you only get paid when your clients pay you. Um, you set your own work schedule. You can accept requests from outside sources. You're not required to kind of keep up with any appearance standards that the salon may have no uniforms you don't have to like put on makeup if you don't want to and that's um, me <laughs> you uh, I write her up weekly <laughs> I would get in trouble for that job. I don't um, wear makeup either thank so. god we don't have makeup anymore. Uh, you're not required to sign any kind of like non-competes or um, and you determine how your work is done you don't have to do any company-specific training. You, you have a lot more autonomy in your creative process, let's say. Um, when you're a W-2 employee, you have a lot less freedom. So you're going to use the, the supplies and the equipment of the employer. Um, the employer is responsible for replacing all of this stuff for you or fixing anything. Your work schedule is determined by the employer. They can say, I need you at the salon from 9 to 5, and your clientele is determined by that employer. You're going to take who comes in when they come in, when you're available. Um, you can't typically go work other places. It's not looked very favorably upon if you go and work, mm -hmm. go moonlight at another salon when you're working at one. Um, they can require you to wear a uniform and they can require you to adhere to certain trainings and policies. So it's just one is more you're doing your own thing and the other is you're doing the employer's thing. Gotcha. Out of curiosity, too, so I know that we touched on, like, with what a w and W-2 employee would mean. Um, it means nothing, Demi. <laughs> oh, wait, no, 1099. Yeah, My bad. Okay, like I'm a, stopping. I'm I, like, girl, have you not been listening? Who's the teacher here? <laughs> I was going to say, I was not even that good at paying attention in school, and I am winning. Um, <laughs> I'm going to uh, now. <laughs> so for a W-2 employee... Um, Let's say, like, you're given a schedule, you have to be there, right? You're making commission. Should be there be the expectation, because they're a W-2 employee and they're provided a schedule, that they are to meet, like, what a minimum wage salary would be? Absolutely. So that is one of the – so a, there's a few, you know, costs and benefits of both of the arrangements, but one of the huge benefits of being a W-2 employee is that you have labor protections. and. Okay your employer is required to pay you at least minimum wage and that includes any deductions they may give you so if they say you know i need you to buy your own uniform so i'm going to take it from your pay that deduction has to be above minimum wage they cannot reduce you below minimum wage so then if you are a commission employee assuming that it's done correctly w2 uh -huh. and everything like that so typically in salons that i've worked at it's been like a 50 50 split okay so let's say i'm working nine to five and i earn a 50 50 commission but i only have one client for uh -huh. that day so let's just say the service is a hundred dollars right so i made fifty dollars that day should that employer then like make up for that minimum right, wage yes right. so they could yes. almost do sort of like how restaurants do where it's like okay if you only have this client you'll make that commission split but if you 
don't have clients will pay you like the restaurant right. whatever yes exactly so they have to find some way sorry I'm no. kicking you uh, <laughs> um, we have to find some way to make that wage that minimum wage whether they you know give you a bonus or some kind of stipend that helps break that but if you were ever in a situation where you made more then you're stuck with whatever you made right. they wouldn't have to enhance that but they definitely have to as a w-2 employee you have to walk away with minimum wage each week mm. and i think that this opens up the conversation of as far as like the salon industry is um the majority doesn't do it no yeah. it they is don't. like <laughs> one of the the strangest like i guess the word would be like enigma but um Maybe, or I just wanted to use that word. It's unsure. Um, <laughs> I I think it's such a common misconception, a misunderstanding. Mm -hmm. um, and, like, even, for instance, like, with the questions we were just asking, it's almost like, I don't know if your brain thinks about it, but it's, like, undoing everything we've kind of known about our industry right. oh, of yeah. what the structure and the breakdown comes yeah. to. My experience, it was very eye-opening, and I learned a lot from when I went through the lawsuit that I did with with the previous salon that I worked at. Mm -hmm. um, that's when I learned about the difference and the misclassification. I learned yeah. the hard way, um, and I know we touched on it a little bit in the non-compete episode, but it was very eye-opening to right. me. Um, just learning what rights you do have to protect yourself as a 1099 and mm -hmm. what rights you are entitled to if you are an employee. And right. there's so much gray area in our industry and so much misunderstanding. Like, to be honest, I think a lot of salon owners, um, you know, including myself, can pull things from this, you know, episode and, right. and learn things because it's a lot of stuff that we have been taught bad yeah. Like through bad advice, you know what I'm saying? I mean, the big reason we do the rental style we do here is because of the hard lessons we learned from from right. our lawsuit and yeah. saying we wanted it to be a clean, you pay your weekly rent, mm -hmm. that equals out, you know, at the end of the month to the monthly right. rent, but it's the same, you know, it comes out once a week. And uh, to me, it just felt like there was no gray area in that sense there. Like, yeah. You know, we sometimes will share supplies or, like, some of us will pick up one thing one week and then the next week somebody else will if we, like, both use the same type of product and right. we just decide to do that just to be economical. Mm -hmm. um, but when it gets to the nitty-gritty of it, everybody owns their own business yeah. in our salon, and we really push that for multiple reasons, but financially yeah, we want to run it legally. Yeah, <laughs> and I think, you know, there's – only so much you know when you come into this industry about this particular area mm -hmm. you know maybe i in when you go through beauty school maybe there's a one week module no. on no. No? no how long is it two weeks i mean it's, maybe it's <laughs> zero right so zero so hours yeah you there's know? not been a lot of uh when there's a way that things have been done for so long and you have all these people coming into this industry you know, wanting to impress people, wanting to make a name for themselves, not wanting to rock any boats, they will go into these kind of agreements kind of unwittingly thinking mm -hmm. the um, person who hired them has their best interest at heart and knows what they're doing. Maybe it's someone who's been in the industry for a long time yeah. and they, you just don't know what you don't know. So right. that's why it's important that, you know, something, and that's why this is amazing that you ladies are doing this, that 
somebody might need to hear this and go, oh, my God, I am, yeah. you know, responsible for this tax burden that right. is supposed to, you know, my employer gets to write off all my expenses. They get to control when I'm here. They get to control my clients. Right. They get to control who I go work for. And I don't get anything. They don't pay <laughs> my 7.65% of my FICA. Yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah. That's not right. That, that needs to be rectified because if you are an independent contractor, you deserve to reap the benefits of being that independent contractor. Right. And I think it's so like important what Demi was saying too, like the salon, like the beauty industry operates in this gray area, mm-hmm. but there is no gray area when you look at what the IRS is saying. Like right. they have defined it. It's black and white. And the beauty industry has just made this non-existing gray area when you really look at it. It's like, oh, shit. Like, I didn't have any clients today, but I was at work from nine to five and I made zero dollars. Yes. And that's illegal. Unacceptable. Like, that's, totally. that's not how it's supposed to yeah. work. And these protections are in place, which is why, like what I just said, when you're at work and you have zero clients... Like, you're a 1099, quote-unquote, employee because it benefits your employer. Exactly. It is not benefiting the worker, no. and that is such an injustice. Exactly. So, you know, whether knowingly or unknowingly that these business owners are doing this, it's important that the people who are involved at least know what their steps are and what they can do to make it right. Right. I think it's very important um, – you know, even on the employer side, like the salon owner side of things, I think that these warning signs or these, I don't want to say warning signs, but these conversations, like Mm -hmm. there's a lot of protection that it offers from the like side of being the business owner too. Cause like, listen, if, if you figure out a great system and you're choosing to do you know, a commission split and you say, I'm going to W2 my stylist and, mm-hmm. and my nail artist, mm-hmm. you then do have a little bit more control of your brand. Mm-hmm. Like if you're really pushing your salon, like exactly. for us, our brand is pushing a co-working space. So it's a little bit different. But I think for a salon really wanting to push their name, their business first and foremost, I think it helps you alleviate gray area and it helps you not have to have so many hard conversations of people not understanding when you're able to say you're an employee, these are the expectations we have Mm -hmm. and that's it from there, you know? Um, So I think it's not even just on the stylist side that these this information's important. I think it's important on both sides because it could alleviate stresses that we're creating for ourselves in this industry just from poorly ran practices Mm -hmm. that we've, like you said, kind of adapted. I think it maybe was like just the artistic side is what I almost want to say. I don't know. And it's like we mashed it all together and out came some ass backwards ideas of what a 1099 means. Um, (laughs) But it's true because, like, listen, from hearing this episode, not just this episode, but doing your own research and figuring out, like, as a 1099, what can a salon really tell me that I need to do, Mm -hmm. right? And I might be in a salon setting that's telling me I have to wear, I don't know, the standard is usually all black, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I have to wear all black. I can't wear jeans. I can't wear sneakers. Whatever it may be, right? right? And then... You know, I 
have to be here a, a certain amount of evenings or I can't be blocking out in the middle of my day every day or I can't do this, I can't do that. Well, what happens when I start to learn and I figure out you can't tell me any of that? Right. It's going to change the dynamic in the salon. Absolutely. Because then at that point, I'm not going to respect you anymore if I learn these things. And now I'm like, for lack right. of better words, like, fuck you. If I want to wear jeans, I'm wearing them today. Right. <laughs> and that's, <laughs> that's your that's your right as a business owner. When you create your own business owner and mm-hmm. you're, your own business entity and you're operating under that, that is whatever you want it to be. Right. So um, when those employers want that control – they have to, you know, it takes it something right to get yeah. something. Yeah. If you want the dedication and the participation and the control over these people that you want, you have to give them what your responsibility as an employer is. Absolutely. And if you don't, well, then you have to let them how operate how they want to as their own business owner. Right. So you have to choose what it is you're actually looking to design in your salon. I, I have one other question, if you could break this down, too. I know yeah. we're going like a little rogue here. You're but, fine. Um, so <laughs> could you describe, I guess, what, like, you picking up your paycheck? To be the simplest version of it, what should it look like as a 1099? Should I be picking up the same type of paycheck as if I was a W-2? Like, should the salon be handing me a check? Or should I be collecting, you know, my income from my clients and then paying you that commission out as a 1099, if that makes sense. So it kind of depends on whatever arrangement you get into prior to going into it. So I always express the importance of contracts and agreements before anybody goes into anything. And, you know, some salons may have that model where it's like, all right, we're going to collect all the income for the clients, but you as the contractor can say, okay, you can collect the income for it and whatever you decide that to be can be what it can be, but you are going to pay me this much of that. Mm -hmm, You mm -hmm. can say, this is my rate and whatever agreement to you come to of biweekly payouts, monthly payouts, quarterly payouts, whatever that is, as long as the salon honors the amount and the rate that you are requesting as that contractor, that is the agreement that you make. So as long as they meet that, then they're holding up their end of the bargain to you. So let's say there's no contract, right? Because there's usually no contract. Right. That's where we get into slippery territory. (laughs) So there's no contract. I'm a 1099. Can I walk in one day and be like, listen, I need my paycheck today? Yeah. If there's no agreement and you have worked and I wouldn't, I would be careful with causing crises. (laughs) I would be careful with terminology. (laughs) Yeah. I would be careful with terminology because paycheck insinuates that it's payroll. So um, payroll is typically handled in a biweekly fashion. That's, that's usually some employers will do weekly, but for W2 employees, um, payroll is typically biweekly. So you will always get at least what you made in the past two weeks. Um, But when you're a contractor, unless you have a contract, there is no stipulation on when that employer or when that person who hired you needs to pay you. So you can go in and ask for it. And if they're a nice person, they may give it to you, but they also may not. And there's also lack of protection on both sides. Exactly. Exactly. So if you are, you know, you're a 1099 contractor and you just start working with someone on good faith, 
and they stop paying you, well, then now you don't have the recourse that an employee would have in that situation where they can contact the Department of Labor. Um, you would have to handle it almost like a business would. Mm-hmm. And you'd have to send them to collections. You would have to go that route. So it's just you almost you have more clout as an employee mm-hmm. if you're looking to collect wages. But if you're a contractor with no contract and you know you're going on good faith yeah you're at a lot higher risk to have a lot more difficulty getting your money gotcha okay yeah. interesting so like i know we've thrown around the word misclassification a lot so can you explain to us what misclassification really means yeah so there's Three common misconceptions in the beauty industry. Um, There's no such thing as a 1099 employee. We covered that from the beginning. (laughs) Thank Um, you. (laughs) The worker is either employed or they're self-employed. They're either an employee or an independent contractor. You can have hybrid agreements where, you know, part of your time is spent as an employee and part of your time is spent as an independent contractor. But it's really important to have documentations that stipulate the difference in those agreements. True subcontractors in salons are pretty rare. Um, In a situation like you guys have, obviously you guys are all subcontractors. Um, I would even say you almost have like a a co-working space where you guys just all coexist and kind of share rent. Right. Um, You have your own businesses. You have your own autonomy. If Melissa's like, Demi, I am sick and I can't come for the next week, you are not going to punish her in any way (laughs) melissa's clients are going to come yelling at you so um this is like a environment where you can see there's clear subcontractor agreements going on but you know in most salons i've been to most of my life it's like um like a assembly line almost you walk in you go to the person who's available they take care of you that kind of thing so those are all employees when you see those salons that they get there at the same time. They leave at the same time. They take any of any client that walks in. That's an employee. And a salon, the third misconception is that salon owners are not general contractors just for owning a business. Um, general contractors are typically contracted by a business mm-hmm. to hire other employees. So if the salon itself is the business owner, they are contracting you or employing you depending on what the arrangement is and what they want you to do. So um, there is actually a 20-factor test from the IRS that anybody who may be suspecting they are misclassified can look at, and it goes over um, a lot of questions to ask yourself. And I actually brought it here for all of us to look at. Okay, and you'll have to send me the link so I can link it in our If you wanted to just take a quick peek. Uh, just for you, so you guys this know, is... uh, Katie brought us handouts. <laughs> That's just the accountant in me. <laughs> Katie's um, a teacher, not yeah. me. Uh, so it's three pages long, so it's very extensive, front and back. Oh, my gosh. Um, and we won't read through it, obviously, but I think just at a quick glance of it, you can see that based on what we know about typical salon arrangements that yep. most empo- yeah. most salon workers are employees. Right. So I think most people who are wondering who would read this this list would 
find that they are employees. Right. So once they look at this and say, yeah, you know what? I think I've been misclassified. Then they can go onto the IRS website and download form SS8. So this is an imp- a form that they can submit to the IRS that basically it, it asks all these same questions in the 20-factor test. It's a little bit extensive. Um, but once you submit it, it will open up an inquiry with the IRS into the employer. So they will then figure out not only if you are misclassified, but also the other people that you work with as well. Which means you can go online and single-handedly burn down the whole salon you're working in and silently do it. Well, I know. (laughs) Whoa. (laughs) And we're laughing, but, I mean, it's not funny, but this is how, you know, you can protect yourself. Absolutely. I mean, I would love to get a person from the IRS and be like, have you done this? Give me all the insight. Mm-hmm. Like, give me details. Yeah, we need to find someone who's <laughs> done know. one of these. Um, I do know, like, some of the former people that I used to work at at one of the salons that I worked at previously, that they did this, that they reported mm-hmm. that salon because they were misclassified. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, and if they do deem that you and others were misclassified, um they will find the employer and they will also require them to pay back any wage any back wages and back employment taxes so they will evaluate oh damn and as many years as they're able to go back and come back at you with a, a bill if they deem it's necessary i think this is like so important and so eye opening um and i i it, it is something I'm, like, super passionate about because I learned the hard way and I learned, you know, through my lawyer, to be honest, um, when I was going through everything because he was a lawyer who specialized in both litigation and employment law mm-hmm. and um, understanding, like, federal employment law and understanding state employment Correct. law are also two different things, too. Definitely. Um, but what we're talking about now can very easily carry over then to the legal side of things, especially yes. if you do talk about having a non-compete trickled into it mm-hmm. and all of those things. And I think that's where, like, we have to clean this gray area up. Like, I'm not saying we're perfect in our co-working space. We all have room to improve and grow, right? Yeah. But... Um, that's why we let everybody run their own thing and true, yeah. be true subcontractors is because I don't want to have a whole bunch of people on payroll in W-2. To be honest, I love no. you, Melissa, but I want you to make your money and just pay me rent. <laughs> it's an and that's how we stay friends. It, I yeah. mean, it, it is like, and that's a whole other responsibility, too, because then, I mean, We've joked about it before, but, like, we live next door to each other. We work together. Like, clearly we're doing a podcast together. My husband is mentioned on several times like you better not fuck up the friendship with Sammy because shit's gonna get awkward but I do think that it's very important right. to have those conversations yeah. because it sets you up for six like not the part about fucking up with our no, friendship but, but the, don't let like the personal get in the way of business absolutely like, yeah and it, I think that when you're a salon owner if you choose to go the W2 and the employee uh, the employee route right you are taking on a large, farther, large, uh, far larger um, 
load yeah to, for yeah. lack of better words it's, it's yeah. truthfully that i mean I, I think in today's world um work environment is one of the biggest conversations when you have employees that's oh, yeah. one of the most passionate things that people talk about i think when you do acquire and you have employees working underneath you you are signed up for that work environment to be 10 times better yep um i mean we're talking google i want puppies outside and massages <laughs> if I'm on yeah. no, and you I'm also kidding, have but... to adhere to labor laws yeah yeah minimum wages as we just you know as katie just mentioned like that's something that i mean i'm not gonna lie i thought about it the other morning in the shower i was like that would be a very good question because i never got paid like minimum wage when i was like first starting out yeah which you know i mean that's like something i think that a lot of people struggle with is Mm -hmm. if you are transitioning or just starting out in this industry if I don't have any clients, I'm not going to be making money. So you, right. you know, so you go to those salons so that you can get, you know, I don't want to say like the leftover clients, but so that you can get those clients yeah, in your chair your... and start building your book. But the concern always is, is, well, if I don't have clients to sit in my chair, I'm not making money. Mm-hmm. And it's like, no, bitch, you should be making money. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. End of the story, you know? Yeah. yeah. And like in, in this arrangement, you were just saying like how you would not want to, you know, W2 Melissa. I'm sure this arrangement works out a lot better for mm-hmm. you too, because oh, yeah. in the, if that ever switched and Demi was like, okay, now everybody's employees, well, all the income from your clients is now going to go to Demi. Yeah. Right. And oh, Demi's going to yeah. be responsible for dishing out the payment to you guys and mm-hmm. which, how, you know, Melissa has built her own book of clients. Bella has built her own book of clients. You know, um, one of Bella's clients is not going to walk in and go to you if you're available or or go to Melissa if she's available. It's, it's, it's so different. So the dynamic that you have set up here is actually, you know, beneficial to both of you guys. And that's what makes it work so well. For sure. I think that, you know, from my experience of learning, you know, through what I went through, it's so important and I don't think we realize this as stylists or nail artists or, you know, in in our industry in general, really choosing to step into a commission style split um, and allowing that other person to be in control. It's not about the communication Mm -hmm. with your clients. It's actually really the financial side of Mm -hmm. your your money, really, because it is your money. Yep. Like your whole day's sales are funneling into somebody else's bank account. Yep. And it doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. I'm not talking you out of it, but it just means you should really be selective with who you choose to trust because Absolutely. you should look at it like it's your money. So forget about them interviewing you to work at their salon. If you're sitting down and you're having a conversation with them to potentially work for them, you mm-hmm. should be interviewing them at the same time. Because if you're walking exactly. into a 1099 situation, yeah. you should be interviewing them. It's not just an right. interview for you, right. to be honest. Because right. you, if you think about it, okay, let's say we're selling $1,000 a day. They, You work five days that week. That's $5,000 of your, it's not your all your income now that you've agreed on a commission split, but... That's $5,000 of money that you made for that business that's sitting in somebody else's account. And you need to, in good faith, if you, let's say, agree on a biweekly payout schedule, um, know that in two weeks they can write that check. I think that's another thing we Uh see happen a lot of times. You talk about the time where they closed up shop in the middle of the night, right? So if there was a 
a commission, you know, situation going on there, I guarantee that person didn't get their last paycheck. Or... No, at that salon, they did not. And right. it was like that all... money went right into that person's yeah. bank account and that's it. It went yeah. to her Louboutins. <laughs> right. And that's usually not going to lie. You always <laughs> notice they're rolling up and it's never a hoopty. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that that's a big thing. And if, and if the biggest piece of advice I can give to anybody in this industry who's going to take on a new job and um, consider that it's it's a W-2 position, ask that employer, are you, like, are you going to ensure that I'm covered with the minimum wage? What is the minimum wage that your salon offers? Because you don't have to accept minimum wage. That's just their right. legal standard to you. Right. Um, but as far as, you know, what you want to get out of a job, the power is in your hands. It really is. And you could stipulate what it is that you want and make sure it's covered for you when you accept that position. Because the biggest thing that messes people up is going into it without that agreement. Because then there's nothing to hold anybody accountable for. So what would you say are, I mean, I know you're in accounting and not necessarily like the salon world, but like some very basic red flags that people should look out for. Like they're going for... They're just out of beauty school. This is the first salon interview. They're super stoked. They just want to be doing either hair or nails or lashes or whatever. Like, what are some things that they should, like some red flags in general that they should look out for? Yeah. Well, they should definitely look for correlations between what the person offering the position is saying to them and what they see in the salon. Um, If they're talking to them about this independent contractor agreement and you know this is how you're going to get paid and this is when I want to see you in here and they look around the salon and they see women in uniforms and kind of an assembly line style of taking in the clients and they don't see that connection with well the you have independent contractors you want to hire me as an independent contractor but it doesn't look like you're treating them like independent contractors that would definitely be a red flag to mm-hmm. um, address with that employer and ask them, you know. Uh, but I will say that if you start to get into this territory with an employer, it might be something they push back on you right. on. Right, it's going to be yeah. a red flag for them, Exactly, because they're, you know, because you're, you're a person yourself. with information. Yeah. They're, and that's people who do this kind of insidiously rely on the people not having the information. So, right. Um, kind of look at their reaction to that when you start asking them those questions are they getting offended are they getting defensive or are they simply calmly explaining to you why they have things set up how they have them set up how they will protect you and how um, they will keep up their end of the bargain that you want to get out of the relationship well then that's that's certainly fine because at the end of the day whatever position that you accept you know, I'm not here to say that either one is bad. I'm not here to say that either one could be wrong for you. Right. I just want to make sure that whatever somebody agrees to is right for them and they are fully, um, I guess, enjoying the benefits of what that classification means to them. Because anytime it's not for you, you know, you're just not going to it's going to build resentment with your employer. You're going to build a bad taste in your mouth and it's going to lead to a possibly financially costly and, you know, emotionally draining experience for you. Yeah. Yeah. 
For sure. Yeah, because, you know, you could be missing out on money that if you had just gone to another person that they would have happily gave you the right agreement for, the right position for. So be be choosy. Be choosy. Definitely be choosy. Be curious. Mm -hmm. Don't be afraid to interview the person who's interviewing you. Oh, for sure. You need to know just as much about them as they need to know about you. Yeah. And yeah. I think that that like it, it's important when you're first starting. And it's um, I think it's it's important evenly, but it's even more important in certain ways once you have your own client book that you've acquired, because mm-hmm. now you're not just protecting yourself. You're also protecting your clients in, right. in a way, um, if you think about it, because that salon energy, that salon interaction, what they're walking into, it could make or break Absolutely. The business that you've created for yourself. And when you do leave one salon and you go to another, that is the way you have to look at it. You are a business. You are not, you know, just a stylist or just a Mm -hmm. nail artist. You're a business. If you are traveling with people that are willing to come to you no matter what location you're at Mm -hmm. and sit in your chair no matter where you go, that's yours like yeah. so you have to protect it and you need to know that you're doing the right things to protect it absolutely. and asking the right questions absolutely sure. i'll get off my soapbox now no <laughs> no but it's true i mean you're building relationships with your clients i mean i've had clients who followed me from the very beginning so that's one two three four to five different spaces now right wow. like so that have been with me you know from then and they're not following me just because, you know, for whatever reason. It's because we have a connection. They like the ser- service that I provide. Mm-hmm. And each step along the way has been a step up, not only for them, but also for myself and my business journey. Mm-hmm. So I think that that's, like, important what you just said, yeah. too. And I think have the confidence, too, because that's the other thing. I think that a lot of times we feel like, For some reason, like you hear people in maybe other industries, like they're not scared to barter for their salaries Mm -hmm. or the interviewing process is a little more two-sided after you get maybe past the first introduction of really getting to the nitty gritty and saying like, well, unless you match my benefits and, you know, I don't know, you're surpassing what I'm making with this company by X amount of dollars, I'm not going to make the jump to you Mm -hmm. or this or that. We need to start to click into that same mode when it comes to this industry, too, yeah. because you have value in yourself. So mm-hmm. if I'm going and sitting down with somebody and they're starting to tell me the warning signs that I'm, A, going to be misclassified, B, it, they may be commission splitting you and taking a shit ton from you, yeah. don't be scared. You have value. There's yep. a reason that they want you to come sit in that salon and work, right? And it's yeah. because you are already making money. So it's a guaranteed check for them too. Right. So you have to remember there's value with you. It doesn't mean you have to be disrespectful, but don't be scared to ask those questions because you're entering a room that you belong in. Absolutely. Right? Got to well, be you your belong own in advocate. any room that you feel oh, like yeah. you want to be in. I should say that, by the way, because <laughs> I believe in breaking rules. But yeah. And what keep I mean in mind, is... this isn't a lot to ask for. This is no. the bare minimum. Right. This is right. The, the bare minimum legal standard of any employer so if they want you to be an employee they gotta treat you like an employee right for sure so if somebody feels like they have been misclassified or something is sketchy definitely do like the 20 factor thing test yeah the 20 factor test form ss8 but i mean and then also i mean 
from the accountant perspective, like if somebody reached out to you and was like, this is my situation, I don't know what to do, like what could they, you know, ex- you know, like I guess like what advice where would you go from like your point of view as yeah. an accountant? I don't, okay. Just I read, get what you're saying. Just read my mind, Kate. Yeah. I got it. I got Answer it. Answer my questions. <laughs> yeah. I think what I primarily see as an accountant is um, W-2, people who are supposed to be W-2 employees being paid as contractors. Right. So they'll come to me at the end of the year and they will tell me, oh yeah, I'm going to send you my W-2. And then I open up the document and it's a 1099 NEC. So I then have to explain the difference to them of what that is and tell them that no taxes have been paid in for them over the year. And so not only do we have to pay in those taxes, but there's also going to be a penalty for not meeting your desi- the deposit requirement from the IRS. The IRS um, requires that you deposit a um, portion of your tax liability prior to the year so they want to see that mostly paid in by january 31st of the next year so if you get into tax season it's february march and you haven't paid in anything there will be a penalty associated with that so um where i deal with those people who come in with those kind of problems is i quickly remind them that you need to be taken in taxes if there's someone who is an s-corp eligible individual I mm-hmm. will start them on payroll and I will start getting those taxes paid in monthly for them and if there's someone who is not necessarily in a position who wants to be S-Corp elected I always recommend for people to make quarterly estimated payments which you can take your which is based on your net income so that would be your gross income less any expenses you deduct take that amount and at the very least at least make an estimated payment of 15.3% of that each quarter because that will cover at the very least your self-employment tax. Right. Yeah. So if you order, if you owe anything over that for having a profit, um, you know, you'll just have to owe whatever that additional amount is and usually avoid those penalties. Um, And if you owe less than what you end up estimating, you get it back in a refund. Right. And if you didn't understand any of those numbers that Katie was saying, this is your sign to go get an accountant. Because Talk to your accountant. I yeah. won't even lie. Like when you said quarterly and 15 point whatever percent, I'm like, oh, God, like immediately. I'm like, I just need an accountant. Yeah. So one thing that is very important for independent contractors to really hone in and understand and just grind into every bone of their body is that you are responsible for that employer portion of the FICA that you are not receiving when you are not a W-2 employee. Right. So every American is responsible for 7.65% of FICA taxes. Now, when you're a W-2, the employer covers up that next 7.65%. But when you are self-employed, they require you to make up that additional. So the total goes from being 7.65 to 15.3. It just doubles your tax liability. Um, on that sense. So um, quarterly payments are due in January, April, and June and September. 
And you can just look if you're doing your monthly bookkeeping like Demi and, and Melissa. <laughs> you will know exactly what. I should say Julian does. <laughs> we divide and Julian. Yeah. <laughs> um, anybody, you know, whoever is doing your monthly or quarterly bookkeeping should be able to give you an idea of what your net income is right. um, for those periods. And you can make your payment based on at least 15.0% or more of that. Um, your tax preparer can also give you an estimated payment amount based on your books or your prior year tax return will also estimate payments for you. So pretty much the surefire way to always avoid penalties is just going with the estimated payments that the IRS stipulates for right. you. Sometimes they may be too much in the following year if you're not expecting to make as much as you did in the prior year. So it's always okay to modify those if you need to, but that's the surefire way, just going with what they say. And listening to your accountant, because remember, yes. there's $80 million back in the IRS now. $80 billion. Uh, B. Billion. Sorry, B. the B. <laughs> $1 billion. <laughs> yeah, they're going to get their Dr. Evil on. 88 <laughs> or 8 or something. A, a, a lot. That a just lot. made my like, butthole clench. Oh, right? Like, oh. Mine, too. Not even right? lie. Mine, too. I know. The word audit is, I think, the the word nobody wants to ever hear. No. no. Let's all knock on wood together. Knock on the wood. Yeah. Theo was here. He'd be barking. <laughs> Seriously. Yeah, and just make sure, you know, you are handling your books the right way. Get a tax preparer. Get an accountant. Even if they just review you quarterly and just give you a, right. a thumbs up it's yeah. better peace of mind than just winging it I totally agree Absolutely. and I always say it like I've learned the hard way from being disorganized and when you start to have those questions answered that are in that gray area for you it alleviates stress that you didn't even know was 100%. stressing you percent like yep. it really does like you think you're not stressed by it and you're like oh whatever I'll figure it out when tax season comes but mm -hmm. just knowing like when somebody asks you a question you're like you know honestly my accountant handles my quarterly bookie whatever yeah. it may be and be like I, I we don't really run it whatever but you can say it in confidence once you've yeah invested of course. In, oh, for sure right it's, it's a building your team yes building yes your, building your support system as a business owner you don't need to know all the intricate details of your profit and loss but mm -hmm. just having someone who does understand that for you Huge goes benefit. such a long way so, it does so far so far it does yeah so awesome so we definitely are going to have Katie back because I know this episode, my brain is already spinning, like especially with right. like the act that just passed. I feel like we're going to have to do our Venmo and whatever. Yes, yes I'd <laughs> love to do that one. Like all of our eyes just lit up like Christmas morning. I know. So I yeah. definitely think, yeah, I think it would be great to follow up that kind of goes more in depth into collecting payment, yeah, how to handle sure. all of that. So. That'll be in a coming episode for sure. Um, we'll definitely be sure to get this uh, 20 factor test posted. Hopefully, we can do it on Instagram too, and yeah, we can link it. We can it. send it to oh, the Oh, yeah, that would yeah. be awesome. Yeah, so people can review. And of course, as always, we are always here for uh, questions or messages, either yeah. to the Beauty Beast podcast or our email. Yeah, which is the Beauty Beast podcast at Gmail. And Katie, why don't you shout out your Instagram too? Yeah. So you can find me on Instagram at Katie 
Gallo underscore group. So that's K-A-T-I-E-G-A-L-L-O underscore group, G-R-O-U-P. Um, our company is the Gallo Group Incorporated. Um, we're just a small family firm in Coral Springs, but um, we got a lot of love to give. So reach out anytime. All right. Thank you. Thank you. So until next time. Yes. We'll see you. Bye.